Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the On Texas Football Tuesday night live stream. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined by Bobby Burton and Paul Wadlington. And great to have you on, Paul. First time to be on the live stream. Uh, first time caller. Be gentle. I'm excited. <laughs> well, Bobby, right now, Texas is practicing as we speak. Uh, I, I don't think you have any on-the-fly intel, but what uh, what are you hoping to hear out of tonight? If uh, practice was supposed to get started about 10 minutes ago. Uh, they had a, uh, a donors meeting beforehand uh, for some of the guys on the Texas One Fund. Uh, so that was part of the process today. Not a lot of people knew that, but that that did go on. Uh, but they're they're literally out at the practice field right now. Uh, you know, we are essentially trying to track any kind of roster movements. Uh, we've mentioned that we believe DJ Campbell is now ahead of Cole Hudson uh, for that uh, that offensive guard spot. We believe that Terrence Brooks has solidified his lead at the the uh, field corner role. So we're watching some other ones like Neto Umiozulu and what's going on there at the left guard spot with Hayden Connor, uh, as well as others. Uh, by the way, I don't know if y'all saw it or not, but speaking of some offensive linemen, the offensive linemen got another NIL deal, guys. Paul, I don't. Did you see this? It's with a non-alcoholic brewing company. Non-alcoholic oh, no. Company. So good <laughs> well, stuff. Those guys. So non-alcoholic brewing and pancakes. It pancakes. <laughs> just, this just sounds perfect, right? It sounds like my Sunday morning minus the non-alcoholic. Hey, <laughs> let me let me say hi to Paul. By the way, I know this is his first time on, and and for those of you that watched uh, on Texas football or read Inside Texas, you're familiar with his name to some degree, and he he and I participate in something called the Saturday Conversation every Saturday morning. We hope you guys watch here. Uh, but Paul is a long time. Uh, a longtime scribe covering the University of Texas, a UT graduate, uh, as well as just has put out a book, by the way, called Thinking Texas Football. Uh, that is a tremendous read. It's 177 pages of a preseason pre magazine. For those unaware, it is one of a kind. And Paul is it's absolutely terrific. He uh, not only does stuff for himself, like the Thinking Texas Football, also has his own podcast. But he also has he also works with us at Inside Texas uh, doing game recaps as well as in his own unique voice, as well as a lot of previews as well. So, uh, Paul, thanks for joining us tonight. I uh, hope you can share some of your uh, wit and wisdom uh, with the folks here uh, on, on Texas football tonight. Wow. Thank you. I appreciate that, Bobby. And uh, there it is right there. And I'm seeing some nice comments in the chats. That's right. The Burn Orange Bible. If, like, look, Bobby, if I really was a gifted writer. I would have said it in 50 pages, not 177. <laughs> you had to put, you had to make room for the photos, Paul. <laughs> I had to make room for the amazing photos by our very own Will Gallagher from Inside Texas, who was phenomenal. Uh, you need to go visit him at Gallagher Studios. Will is one of a kind and just absolutely awesome. So I uh, can't thank him enough. And uh, thanks for all of you who have bought it. And if you haven't bought it yet, yeah, jump in. The water's fine. All right, let's do some, let's do some live streaming. Let's get some questions answered. What's up? Yeah, let's go, Blake. All right. Well, I'm going to put Paul on the spot right away. Ryan says, welcome to On Texas Football, Paul. Glad to see you join some streams. Who's your gas camp candidate for 23? Explain All what right. the gas camp is, though, first, Paul. Explain the, the gas camp is. award is named after Russell Gas Camp, who was a actually a very highly rated recruit from, I think, Weatherford. Weatherford, Oklahoma. Weatherford, Oklahoma. And he came to Texas 
didn't play much. And then his final senior season, the, the year where Ricky set all those records and won the Heisman, he was the center for that Texas offensive line. And he played actually fantastic and had previously given no indication that he was capable of playing that well. So I named an award after him, which is a player who doesn't contribute much through their UT career. And then in one final amazing season, they explode. Uh, they have to be a senior. Now, COVID has messed all this up. Extra eligibility has messed this up. So that's what the Gas Camp Award is. And we've had some very famous, uh, prestigious previous award winners in, in, in its history. I haven't awarded it a couple of times because I'm not just going to settle, Bobby and Blake. <laughs> Steve Sarkeesian not going to settle. That's right. This year, I think some of the candidates would be David Benda is a very good candidate for the Gas Camp Award. Uh, Vernon Broughton, depending on what he wants to do with his eligibility, uh, could be a candidate. And I'm going to have to probably think about some of the other ones. I don't, I don't, you know, there's not a senior offensive lineman that hasn't already started. No, and it doesn't have to be an offensive line. It could be any position. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Maybe, maybe Keaton Crawford. Yeah. Is he, is he a senior? Well, I think he's a redshirt junior, so he's a senior by age. Yeah, that's the problem. That that's kind of all the COVID extra year stuff and all that has messed up some of this. But uh, and also the transfer portal has messed it up a little bit. You just don't have these guys, the Maurice Gordons, the Brandon Healy's, who come out and have this one. You know, Nate Jones, right? Who come John out? John Harris. John Harris. John Harris. John Harris. Perfect yeah. example, right? Doghouse running fourth string in the spring. They made him take snaps at the walk-ons as punishment. And he finds religion in the offseason. He's a thousand yard receiver as a senior. Could, can't believe it. Unbelievable. <laughs> Alfred Collins is a question. No, I don't think he's a candidate because uh, he started too many games. But if I'm desperate, I might go with Alfred at the end. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> at least you're honest, Paul. Or at least you're honest, Paul. <laughs> I, I don't have any integrity with this award. Let's be clear, guys. <laughs> All right, Paul, we got a super chat for you. It's from It's Kunu. I want to thank him. He says, Paul, without exposing your work in TTF, which schematic matchup will give UT the most concern? P.S. Can't wait for the eventual Evan Stewart Hulu doc. <laughs> Evan Stewart, yeah. Well, I, I won't address or touch that part, but who's going to give us the most schematic problems? Well, I think it's actually going to be on one side of the ball or the other. Uh, so TCU actually returns a pretty good defense or a good defensive infrastructure, uh, mostly weighted towards their linebackers in the secondary. So if Texas isn't very effective running the ball, that could actually be a little bit of a, a, a hiccup for our offense. Offensively, uh, look, Bama, schematically, if we're not ready to play physical football, that could be a little bit of a problem. If we are, I like that matchup just fine. Uh, let's think of another offense. I think um, Kansas at all. Kansas, maybe. The problem with Kansas is I think we're going to put so many points on the board, Bobby, that it's going to take some of the, you know, it's going to be a bit of a shootout till we pull away. Uh, the other problem with Kansas is if you have enough secondary coverage to really take away the initial RPO read, Jalen Daniels has to hold on to the ball and then some mistakes start to happen. Uh, so I think that's a great suggestion. The, the, the team I was thinking about potentially uh, we'll have to see is Texas Tech and not so much because of what they do schematically per se, 
but the kind of pressure that they put on you by going for it on fourth down, by playing asymmetrical football, we did not handle that well last year in Lubbock, to put it mildly. Uh, you can't give up six of eight on fourth down and win a football game. We need to see some improvement there, and we need to see an understanding from our staff that they're ready to play some chess instead of just play checkers. All right, guys. I got another super chat I want to read real quick. More of a comment from Edmund Lee. Thank you, Edmund. He says, having viewed several other sites, OTF and coffee and football is still the best. Keep up the great reporting and hook them horns. So, Edmund, we appreciate you tuning in and appreciate the super chat. All right. Let's see here. Patrick Smith. This one's for you, Bobby. He says, after the spring game, you noted that Quinn Ewers wasn't effectively moving the ball with the offense and couldn't pick up first downs. Sark informed the refs to give them a first down several times. Why are you so confident now? Um, I, I think I've seen some movement. And I also know that, uh, look, the, the, the piece of it, too, is, and we talk about this all the time, the defense knows the plays in spring and in fall camp. They have a decided advantage on the offense. I know people don't want to hear that necessarily, but it, it's the truth. Furthermore, based on what I've been told behind the scenes, it's absolutely true. Is he now all of a sudden, though, the top quarterback in the country? The answer is no. So there's a difference between where he was last year and what his potential is long term. And that's what I think people have to get in, their, in into their head. He's not all the way there. I don't expect him to come out and have a Heisman Trophy year this year. I just want to be clear. But I do think you're going to see, if you saw 50% of Quinn Ewers last year, I think you're going to see 75 to 85% of him this year. That's that's my personal opinion. All right. Uh, let's see here. I had another question for you, and it's actually a two-parter. This one from Troy Cessna. Uh, it's a super chat, and his chat didn't get attached to there. But he wants to know, Bobby, the status of Jordan Whittington, if you have an update. That's, everything's fine. Sark went to the mic yesterday and said he's fine. Um, the only, the only known injury as of late Monday afternoon, and I, something may have happened in the last 20 minutes when they're on the practice field, but Jordan Whittington, uh, was held out a little bit on Saturday, but he, he practiced again on Monday. He's back full go. The only known injury right now is Savion Red, and he is only out for two weeks, uh, with a sprained shoulder. It's not even a separated shoulder, Paul. So I don't know, uh, what's going to happen there. Um, Paul, your, your thoughts on this, and, and I want to take this a little bit because I haven't got a chance to ask you something like this in this venue, the health of this team right now, how odd is it in your opinion that we're seeing them? I mean, literally, is it, does it have to do with Tory Becton and the strength and conditioning? Is it just that they're being smarter about how they're practicing? I mean, knock on wood. I mean, they're, they're relatively healthy and, and even Sark is like surprised by it, I think. Yeah, I, I was about to actually knock on wood, and then I realized my dogs <laughs> would go ape for about a minute and a half. So I'm glad I did that. I think there's a few things that were, you know, it's amazing, Bob, because we just had a Saturday conversation about the increased physicality and that they're putting in extra periods of hitting and live contact. And as you said, knock on wood, this is a healthy football team. Uh, I do think that you need to give some credit to the training and conditioning staff uh, for sure. I also think you need to give some credit to the players, right? You know, one of the ways you get hurt, one of the ways you get tears is not hydrating, not uh, getting properly warmed up, uh, going out, 
drinking, being dehydrated, showing up to practice the next day, pulling your hammy, right? Uh, that's all part of it too. There's also just an element of luck. I, and it, you know, maybe, um, maybe they're doing some things or they've identified some stuff that's particularly more likely to result in injury. And maybe they're steering away from some of that. So, you know, I don't know if all of our tackling is going to the ground. I don't know if they're, you know, blowing the whistle and saying, hold up when they see a guy fighting for yards and he's getting tangled up with people. Uh, they might say, hey, also, hey, these are our teammates. Hit them hard. You know, do your job. But let's not, you know, at, in the shadow of the whistle, let's not drop a, a block on the side of someone's knee at the conclusion of a play. Right. So maybe they're, you know, giving some instruction to help take care of your teammates. Truth is, I think luck plays a big part of it, to be honest. Yeah, I, I just I feel like there's something there and who to give the credit to, Paul. Or I think it's a, a, a number of combined factors, not just any one overriding factor. Right. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I come out on it. It, it feels multifactorial for sure. And but hey, again, knock on wood, we're not. We're not there yet, man. That's exactly right. Still got two weeks, two and a half Still weeks to rice. Yep. All right, guys. We got a question here from Go for Broke. He said, we've heard a lot about how players are recruited. What would Sark do or say to convince a coach to come work with him? You know, Sark does a pretty good job of this, actually. Um, it's, it's interesting because coaches haven't left Sark or Texas at this point unless they got a better job. Stan Drayton left to go be the head coach at Temple. Uh, Brendan Marion left wide receivers coach to go be a play caller at UNLV. Andre Coleman was, was let go. Everybody else has stayed. You look at the merry-go-round, no offense, but Nick Saban is one of the greatest coaches of our time, if not the best, right? He runs through assistant coaches like, you know, <laughs> I mean, he, he just runs through them and churns them because they can't stand working for him long-term because he literally uh, is, he browbeats them as well as tries to extract the best. Sark actually has done a good job of uh, cultivating a culture that his coaches help recruit other coaches. For example, Tashard Choice this past year had an opportunity to go to multiple NFL teams and opted not to. That doesn't really happen a lot, right? I mean, these guys want to end up being a, a head coach at some level, and that would be a next wrong step. Bo Davis, other opportunities, stayed at Texas. So my, my and, and I'm sure others did as well. I'm not trying to just uh, pinpoint one guy. Uh, my, my thought process is there that, that he does a good job of making it a good place to work. I go back to what Brian Irwin said uh, a year ago, a year and a half ago. He feels like, and that's the coach that we do lunch with the coach with. Uh, Brian was the two-time state champion at Lamarck High School. He said that when Sark went five and seven, he didn't throw other coaches under the bus. He didn't throw players under the bus. Just said, we got to get better. And he thinks he is now, I talked to Brian this week actually about it, or, or late last week. And he said, he, he still thinks Sark is reaping the rewards of that with coaching continuity, with player buy-in, the whole nine yards. So, because the guys, remember the guys that are juniors and seniors now, they were part of that five and seven mess. And they've been there. They know that their head coach has has their back. All right, Bobby, we had a quick, we 
uh, talked about this a little bit this morning, but we've had quite a few questions this evening as well. Texas Titan 81 says, what's the word on Jordan Ross? Yeah, this is the defensive end out of uh, Vestavia Hills, Alabama. He's a senior, and he is announcing his decision, I believe, August 21st. I mean, somebody may need to help me out on this. Uh, but he narrowed his choices to four. He has put Texas in his top four. At one, one point, Texas had kind of just wanted to wait and see what was going to happen with other prospects. However, he is friends with Colin Simmons. Tennessee is thought to be the leader, but Texas is involved. We'll see if Texas really goes hard over the next week, I guess. Because don't forget, Texas still likes Danny Okoye. They really like Zena Umiozulu, uh, the uh, brother of Neto out of uh, Allen. So that and there's only going to be so many spots left. I'm not saying he's not he Jordan Ross couldn't have one if he wanted one. I'm just saying that that at some point it's a numbers game at that position. Uh, and I don't know if Texas how hard they're really recruiting him or if this is a situation where Colin Simmons is helping recruit him to Texas. Paul, this next one's from you or for you from Ashton Holloman. He says, Hey Paul, where does Texas finish in the AP or I'm sorry, guys, in the final AP poll, given they started at 11 in the preseason. Uh, if this team plays to its potential, I think they're a top 10 team. Is there any, what, what does that mean to you though, Paul? Like what's potential? Is it 11 wins? Is it 12? What, what are you thinking? I, I think they're going to win the big 12. So then the question is, did they win the Big 12 with two losses? Or that's a different path. Or do they win the Big 12 with one loss or undefeated? And then who is the one loss to? Uh, if that's the case, we're in the playoff picture. And we're vying with, you know, a pretty interesting tri troika in, big, in the Big 10 country, the Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, round robin, right? All those teams play at each other's place in sort of a, a round robin. And there's a chance they trade losses, Right. Uh, SEC, you've got LSU, Bama, Georgia, obviously. You've got Clemson, Florida State out in the ACC. And then you've got a bunch of pack teams that this is ironically, <laughs> while they're in, in the process of committing suicide, they have I, amazingly one of the best upper halves of the pack that they've had in over 15 years. Uh, so the team that emerges out of there is going to be a legitimate playoff contender. So there, it's going to be a little bit of a, a popularity poll. But if we're having that discussion, Texas is finishing in the top 10. And then in terms of playing up to our potential, I think we know what it looks like. It's finishing games. It's, it's pummeling teams that shouldn't be hanging with you in the third and fourth quarter uh, and allowing bad luck or someone, you know, getting a conversion of a fourth down to, to swing the game. Uh, and then obviously there's health. Like that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate caveat for any football team. But I, I firmly believe Texas is going to win the big 12 and I think they're a top 10 team. Go. Professor Paul, welcome to the live stream, Ashton Holloman. <laughs> Just like Peyton Manning, now professor at Tennessee, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jimmy Trevino put in a super chat and he says, Brian Jones and Danny Cannell have the horns in the college football playoff in their top four. So, thank what you, do you Jimmy, think of that? Do you think, you know, well, look, Brian Jones, I, Brian Jones, I went to school with Brian Jones. <laughs> um, you know, I, I feel like I feel like putting Texas in that group right now is premature, but at the same time, Paul, what I've been saying, and, and I, I wrote an article this morning on Inside Texas, Paul, and I, I'm, 
the idea right now is that Texas looks more like what Texas is supposed to look like than they have at any point in the last 10 years. Now, I don't know that they're going to be as good as the team that beat Georgia in the, the Sugar Bowl, because at the end of the day, it's about being a team. But they look more like a college football playoff team than any Texas team has, in my opinion, at least physically right now. Agreed. And, and to the point of the question, is there a path forward for Texas in the college football playoff? Yeah. But first, let's go win the conference. <laughs> let's let's beat the hell out of OU. Let's go into Tuscaloosa and, and edge Alabama and steal, steal a win, right? Uh, let's take care of business and, and do the things that we're supposed to do. Let's not lose to the Oklahoma states of the world. Not that we have them on the schedule, but you, you kind of get my drift. So let's do that. And then, you know, let's go to the next goal. <laughs> Uh, but hey, as far as the college football playoff, if you had Michigan, Georgia, TCU, and Ohio State in your final four, take a drink and send me all of your betting predictions for this year because uh, <laughs> you got some insights into football that we need. The point is, we don't know. And, I, and it's ironically enough, Bobby, I just wrote an article today about the preseason coaches poll, right? Last year, the 2022 coaches poll only predicted 44% of the final top 25. So is that 11 of the top 25? 11, Bobby. I That's like throwing darts, right? <laughs> so, and I'm not criticizing. I'm, I'm just saying our perceptions and our ideas are, are ironclad and they don't always materialize. And also, by the way, Tennessee broke out. Tennessee's been more disappointing than Texas for much, much longer, right? Uh, Florida State returned. They weren't in the top 25 preseason. Uh, LSU rebounded under Brian Kelly. They were not in the preseason top 25. So one point that I made in that article is that name and brand programs, they can come back real fast once they reload the talent and get decent coaching. All right, Bobby, before we move on, I'm going to let you tell everybody about Energy Texas. Yeah, Energy Texas is our sponsor of the Tuesday Night Live stream. We appreciate those guys over there. If you, in a land of deregulated energy in the state of Texas, you get an option to choose who your energy provider is in certain places. Uh, go to www.energytexas.com. Uh, choose their flex plan. With their flex plan, you literally can choose each and every month what your energy plan will be so you have no wasted dollars, no wasted time. Uh, you can do it at no additional cost. Choose your plan on a monthly basis. www.energytexas.com. We appreciate them and their sponsorship of the Tuesday Night Livestream. Well, Bobby, this next one's going to be for you. It's a super chat from Justin Yarbrough. And he says, Bobby, in all your years in covering recruiting, do certain regions create a certain type of talent? And how does the talent differ from the regions? And what was your favorite area to watch recruits play? Um, the answer is yes. Uh, look, um, East Texas was one of my favorite places uh, because I could go there on a Friday night and literally there might be a guy that no one had ever heard of that had gotten an offer from Louisiana Tech and he needed to go somewhere else. I mean, Jeff Gladney is an example. He's from New Boston, right? He literally at one point his senior year only had an offer from Sam Houston State. And he ends up first round draft pick. Now, rest in peace, Jeff Gladney. I mean, uh, but my point being, 
that that and it is a hard nosed profile in East Texas for the most part. Yeah, there are some prima donnas and divas everywhere. Don't get me wrong, but it's that hard nosed, tough football. I really enjoyed that. I, you know, for me, I enjoyed um, I enjoyed going to Florida uh, and seeing some of those guys too because it's like there are parts of Florida that just are like a big East Texas, right? There's the whole central part of it. Uh, if you take away Orlando and, and Tampa and you go to Pahokee and places like that down South, that, that I, there, there's parts of that that I enjoyed. I uh, really enjoyed Houston and Dallas. Always the great thing about Houston and Dallas, you could literally drive five minutes to the next high school and find another division one player. I mean, that's just, so I could make two or three practices in a day if I started at one o'clock and ended at five. So uh, that was, that was, uh, that's, that was always fun. All right. Well, thank you, Justin. We appreciate the super chat. This next one is from Shavam Patel. And he says, other than the Alabama game, which game is going to be the toughest? Paul, you take this one, buddy. I hate to say it, but an OU game. Because it's the OU game, not because I necessarily fear this particular OU team. Uh, I, Bobby and I and even Blake have followed Texas football long enough that I've seen really bad Texas teams beat good OU teams. I've seen bad OU teams tie good <laughs> Texas teams. And you remember that one, Bobby. Yes. And, and beat them. I've seen evenly matched. Texas and OU teams where OU wins by 45 points. So I just think I, I don't fear OU the team, frankly, but I've just seen weird stuff happen in that game. It's one of the few games that it really is true that you can kind of throw out the records and it's a little bit of a fight and whoever gets in the first shot, the other, the opponent can stagger for a while and, and not recover in time to win the game. I love the reverence you give that game, Paul. Love it because I agree in in so many ways. I do think there'll be tougher uh, tougher one on one matchups or positional matchups per se. Right? You you mentioned earlier that you know what do you do against Texas Tech or TCU's defense? But for a game, there there won't. I mean that's that's a game that goes down in the record books every year. Period. I, I, Bobby, when I when I was in college, and I think. Part of high school, four unranked Texas teams beat ranked OU teams in a row consecutively. And they won by scores like seven to three. <laughs> it's, it's some of the wildest stuff I've ever seen. And that is, that's just part of that game. It's just, it's a wild environment. And if you talk to players who played in it, there's an intensity to it that does not match any other game. And if you don't rise to that intensity, as a couple of Mac Brown teams did, that thing can turn ugly on you really fast. Definitely. Well, let's piggyback off this question. This one from Kevin Nye says, excluding Alabama, who's the toughest defense we will face this season? You go TCU, Paul? TCU. I was going to say Iowa State, but <laughs> LOL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably TCU just because they have a, a really good secondary and they have good linebackers. Uh, they've got a good nose tackle up front, Demonic Williams. They don't have those two ends to flank them. That really helps Gillespie's defense. Last year, they had Horton, who was their best sack guy, and really good at penetration. 
they don't have those guys and they're scrambling. So look, if Texas can't run the ball against TCU, Gillespie's going to have something for us. Trust me. But if we can't run the ball against some of his stunts and some of the little games he's going to run, then it'll be more of a, you know, I think a game where you want to play good defense, not make any mistakes, and you just go try to win in their place 27 to 14. And then all the fans bitch about the lack of style points. I, I'm interested to see what they do without D winners uh, this year at TCU. Cause he, he felt like to me, the straw that stirred the drink for them. He, so Bobby, he's, he is their blitz linebacker, right? So he was second on the team in sacks. He had seven and a half sacks and he was, he was their interior blitz guy, tackles for loss guy. You know, let's get teams behind the chain, second and 12, third and 13, right? They're going to make Jamoy Hodge that guy. And if you recognize the name, he's the guy who targets the other team's quarterback and knocks him out. And then he takes the targeting penalty and uh, TCU wins on the exchange. So that's what they're going to try to turn into the D winners guy. But I agree with Bobby. I think they're going to miss that guy uh, as well. I really like D winners. He's a good player. Right, now we're going to piggyback off this question for this super chat from William Nish. And he says the Alabama offensive line is going to be one of the best in the nation. Will the Texas defensive line be able to get it done? I, I think that it depends how you, you qualify that. I, I think that Texas should get it done. The problem I have is, and we've talked about it over and over, 700 pounds of right side for, for Alabama, Paul. Is Baron Sorrell... And if it's Alfred Collins over there, are they going to be enough to, to, to really draw a stalemate uh, well, so, on that, uh, on Alabama's offensive front? So Bobby's talking about JC Latham and Tyler Booker, both very good players. And uh, yeah. So I think the experiment with Alfred Collins at edge is all about Bama. Uh, and in fact, I think we've been preparing for Bama, but I don't think our coaches tell the players we're preparing for Bama. I think they just have certain sets. Well, let's practice against this set. Well, that set happens to be what they think Bama's going to do. Uh, Bama, by the way, is preparing for Texas right now. Don't, don't get that twisted. So uh, I actually like Alfred Collins, and I think what you're probably going to do is, is you're going to have him next to Tavondre Sweat. You're going to have him next to Byron Murphy. And I think those guys can absolutely stalemate that, that Bama offensive line. What you've got to really do, I think the concern is accounting for the quarterback in the run game and accounting for some optionality and some of that. I don't think we're going to line up and just get mashed or pushed around by those guys. In fact, Texas responds very well to pure physicality. You know, that's a, one of my gripes with the national media is that there's no team that gets talked about more than Texas that they actually know less about. (laughs) Does that That's make a sense? mouthful, but so well said. Texas gets fooled a lot. They don't get bullied a lot. Now, 2021, they got bullied, but that was a, a different deal. 2022, no one came in and bullied Texas around. That didn't happen. Texas got fooled. Texas got out coached a couple of times, frankly, and some key money downs, right? But no one came. I mean, look at what happened in Austin, you know, when Bama came in. Uh, last year. Now, Bama's going to be better on the offensive line, and they're going to be more physical than they were last year. But I don't see anyone taking Texas's lunch money uh, unless Texas is in a dime and basically conceding it and just destroying someone's passing game, right? Let's remember, passing is more important than running. As much as I love the running game, if you have the choice 
take away the opponent's passing game, and then you can stop the run situationally. Makes sense. All right, guys, uh, let's take a couple of recruiting questions to switch it up for a minute. And these are actually about current commitments. This first one from Zachary Delgado. He says, how good can Trey Owens be? You know, I, I think that my take on that and um, my take on that is that I think that he's got more potential than maybe people realize uh, because he's he's kind of unheralded on the national scene. But you're talking about an all district guy that has an absolute gun for an arm. Uh, he moves pretty well in the pocket. He is more of a pocket guy. Don't get me wrong. But the thing that I like about Trey is that I don't think he's thinking, okay, I'm going to go to Texas and start year one. He's thinking more long-term. And that means, okay, I'm going to go to Texas. I'm going to learn a couple of years. I'm going to get more physically prepared because he's not a big guy. He's tall, but he's not a big heavy set guy. He needs, just like Quinn Ewers isn't, by the way. Quinn Ewers is not that heavy set guy. Quinn could have used a real off season or a real full season trying to add bulk in a good way. Trey Owens is that similar body type that's going to take time. So I actually think that Trey Owens is, is on a good path because he's sitting behind Arch Manning most likely and or Malik Murphy. And then he's going to, going to try to vie for time after that unless there is injury as well. And hopefully – the backup quarterback at Texas in two years is playing enough uh, late in late games to get some real experience, not unlike what uh, Steve Sarkeesian was able to do with Mac Jones three years ago when he was back up to Tua and, and Jalen Hurts and those guys. Blake, can I offer two cents on Trey? I actually watched this film. Uh, I agree with Bobby 100%. Uh, if a guy has a really good arm as a junior and he's not even strong yet, imagine what happens when he goes from 195 soaking wet to 225, 230. His arm strength is, is it going to decrease? I can tell you that. And also his other athletic traits will actually increase. And particularly big, tall, long, skinny guys, they don't get less athletic the heavier they get. The stronger they get, the faster they get, the quicker they get. The more assertive they get, the better balance they have in the pocket, the more they feel confident letting rushers rush by them and brush against them and stepping up in the pocket and trying to, instead of trying to run backwards and throw fadeaways. I, I, I think the book is not written on a guy like Trey Owens. And then the next one that we're going to talk about that's committed uh, is Parker Livingstone. And Tyler Ruiz says, I believe Parker's potential in this offense is slept on, and I know it may take two years. Is he an early enrollee, and what's y'all's take on his potential? Boy, I would have to ask – I don't know if he's an early enrollee, so I apologize for not answering that part of the question, Tyler. Um, off, off the top of my head. What I like about Parker is he's a tough receiver that doesn't get knocked off his routes. Um, and so uh, he's also fairly refined um, and has better speed than you think. So I, I think that he's – I don't necessarily – I'll be honest. After Isaiah Nayor and A.D. Mitchell go, who's left at big receiver for them? If if Nayor, for whatever reason, ends up going pro after this year, who's Texas's big receiver next year? Casey Kane? It's up for any, It's up for grabs. They may have to go to the portal if Parker Livingstone, for example, isn't ready. And then now let's talk about an uncommitted prospect, Bobby. Victor Massell says, is there any truth to insiders saying Kobe Black was close to committing to them at their pool party? 
does it matter? <laughs> I mean, whether that's true, I mean, legitimately, does it matter? Um, because right now, Texas is, is in great, sh- great shape for Kobe Black um, and has long been one of the leaders. I, look, I think Texas is, is, is the team to beat in that recruitment, rather what Aggie insiders, you know, say this week or next week. So Texas, Texas has reason to feel real good there. All right, Bobby, we got some super chats we need to catch up on. But before we do, I'm going to let you tell everybody about Energy Texas again. Yeah, absolutely. Energy Texas is for Texans by Texans. Uh, Go to www.energytexas.com. They have a flex plan that allows you to choose your energy plan at no additional cost each and every month. That's right. You can detail your plan to the month. So it can be different in December than it is September. Uh, And given that, you can uh, save a little bit of money or a lot of money, uh, whatever the case might be. Give them a call at 855-461-1129 or visit them www.energytexas.com. Remember, they have that flex plan that you want to check out. Yes, big thank you to Energy Texas. All right, guys, this next Super Chat's for the both of you from Kay Brink. He says, hey, Bobby and Paul, what's y'all's take on the O-line starters for game one? Versus the bowl or playoff game. I feel like the best lineup would be left to right. Banks, Neto, Hudson, Campbell, Jones. Bulldozers, run game. Y'all thoughts? Paul, you go with this one. I've, I've got my, I've got a feel on this one, I think. Yeah, so game one, I think the starters are going to be Banks, Connor, Majors, Campbell, Jones. Uh, Jones and Banks are not negotiable. They're, they're starting. Uh <laughs> You know, hey, there were people trying to bench Christian Jones three months ago. Like, they didn't even pay attention to last year. Uh, NATO could press by halfway through the year. Uh, Hudson is a great multi-tool Swiss Army knife. You want him at center and backing up effectively both guards. Uh, Jake Majors is not losing his job unless he gets injured. Uh, And then Campbell... I think will assert himself and be the, the day the day one starter against Rice. That's what I got. What do you got, Bobby? I would say almost the exact same thing. Starters uh, against Rice at this point in time, as I know it to be, would be left to right. Kelvin Banks, Hayden Connor, Jake Majors, DJ Campbell, uh, followed by Christian Jones. What's it going to be 11 or 12 games from now? Again, knock on wood, no injuries. I think you see Neto take over for Hayden Connor. And I and I I think Cole Hudson may be the backup at, at either guard spot at that point, potentially. Uh, let's go to the other side of the line now, guys, with Jimmy Trevino. His super chat says more of an impact, Brian Byron Murphy or Alfred Collins. Why not both? <laughs> <laughs> Paul's greedy. Well, so serious answer. Uh Alfred Collins is for real. And the playing him at edge, playing him at five technique, playing him at four eye. This is an attempt to get all of those guys out on the field at once, right? And to create a more robust rotation. So the worst thing you can do as a football coach is slavishly follow your depth chart. And if you've got a de- an interior defensive lineman who can provide better edge play than your second team edge, by all means, play that guy out there and, and play big. And, and you can do that a little bit. When you've got a Jalen Ford and, and of course, the, the heat-seeking missile of Ant Hill back there, uh, you could play a, a dime behind those guys. You could play six defensive backs. 
doesn't mean you play a three, two. It means that's the personnel. So you'd walk up a safety, you drop a safety, and then you actually have this big front. And then you've got two linebackers and a, a you know, good tackling safety. That's a real interesting look that they could throw at people. They could also do similar stuff out of a nickel. The point is Byron Murphy is going to have a great year. And I think Alfred Collins is going to have a great year. So why not both? Bobby? I, my take on it is, is similar to Paul's. I, I think, look, Alfred Collins is going to make more of the splash plays that people go ooh and ah about, right? I mean, that, like his interception against Colorado, that's his kind of – that's been his game. Now he needs to be more consistent, which Steve Sarkeesian and Bo Davis have been talking about. Uh, but Byron Murphy, for me, is that, you know, he, you're going to get 45 plays out of him a game that are going to be high octane. And so for me, I think he's that guy because I think he's a he's a leader of the team. He's a I don't want to say a he's a guy that sets a very high floor for this team in the way he participates and the way he he uh, uh, works. So I I actually think the bigger impact actually would be Collins or excuse me would be Murphy. But what I would say is the same as Paul. Why not both? Well, I mean, and Bobby, if, if Albert Collins could get five, six sacks, Paul, more power to us, right? Right. And to your point, Bobby, I think Byron's going to have the Puna Ford effect, which is he sets the table for others. So Puna Ford or Byron, Byron's going to have multiple plays this year where he shoots through a freaking guard, puts him on his back, disrupts the play, gets the quarterback as he's handing the ball off. The quarterback hands it off. The running back bounces it out. And then an untouched Alfred Collins cleans it up. And the announcer goes, Alfred Collins, amazing play. And Byron Murphy's got grass in his face mask. And he's got two dudes that he pile drove. And everyone's cussing at him. And Alfred Collins has the negative three yard. Right? That's how it goes. And, and hey, why not both? One guy's going to get the stat. The other guy had the impact. All right, guys, we're going to do one more super chat and then we'll jump around to some other ones before coming back to the rest. This next one from Chris G. He says, do you think this team will be able to block out the noise and not buy into the hype surrounding them? By the way, y'all are killing it with all the videos and constant content on Inside Texas. You know, let's hope they can, Chris. They haven't been in this position before. Uh, this team hasn't, clearly. And in, in the, the upperclassmen on the team haven't been. Um, I think that what I would worry about is a team that starts high and then can't carry it out and, and starts believing, reading their press clippings. I don't think they are right now, but if they go and beat Bama and start five or six and oh, what just not, not saying that's going to happen, but if they do, can they be like TCU was last year? And follow through with that. I thought even TCU had some issues late in the season with that, but they got away with it a little bit. They they lost to Kansas State, a game they probably shouldn't have. But uh, what do you think of that? Do you think they're going to have an issue buying into the hype, Paul? You've you and I have both been around this a long time, and there are certainly teams. I, I generally think this is over over analyzed this kind of stuff, but there are certain teams that clearly lose focus halfway through the year in my opinion. On defense, you have Jaron Thompson, Jalen Ford, Byron Murphy, 
Baron Sorrell. These are locker room enforcers. And part of being an enforcer is enforcing on your own team, the culture, right? Uh, Ryan Watts, by the way, I'd throw in that group as well. Uh, so if anyone on that Texas team wants to fight those guys, wow, <laughs> we need to start him because <laughs> that dude's awesome. Uh, now on offense, I'll be honest, I, I have a little more trouble identifying those guys. Uh, I think Roshan Johnson, and I think Jerry said, I've never seen a college football team led by the second team running back, but um, I, I have more trouble identifying those guys, particularly because some of the really good players are young or they're sort of unproven in that leadership role. Quinn, I think, is growing into it, but I don't think he's quite Vince Young as a in his last season saying, hey, if you don't show up to optional workouts, you and I are going to have a, a physical problem. And my offensive line won't let me lose a fight. So the decision is up to you. <laughs> it's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Well, this next one is for the both of you. It's from Steve Sexton, and he says, Paul and Bobby would love to hear what y'all think of uh, Tory Becton and the way he has transformed this team. Didn't Campbell come in last year around 310, and now he's 340? It seems like Becton is underrated. So I want to say this. Paul is actually really, really intelligent about this kind of stuff, and one of the few people I actually listen to uh, when he starts talking about body transformation and stuff. He's into the bodybuilding slash body development stuff. He actually put me onto a book that I can't remember the name of it now, uh, Paul, but I read it like in a, a week and it was really good. I'm going to let you take this question as opposed to me, but because you do follow this stuff more closely than I do as far as that body development. I, yeah, I wish I applied it to myself more, but uh, <laughs> I think the book I recommended to you was Our Bodies, Ourselves. Or, or Rise or something like that. I can't remember. No, no, no. I'm just kidding, actually, Bobby. That's a that's a book for women. Back in oh, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. Oh, okay. Uh, so I have mixed feelings about Becton, to be honest. What I think he excels at is getting guys in shape. I think he's good at getting big guys and getting them in better shape and really getting them to buy in and work hard. Uh, I had some real issues with some of the things we did back in 2021. We were a weak football team and it showed on the field and it showed in some of the off season things that happened. And also the fact that we hired a consultant to come in and get Tori back on the reservation and doing some of the basic lifts. Uh, hey, everyone loves to do all the exotic stuff and I'm down, but if you don't have a baseline level of strength in the main compound lifts, 
all that other stuff is, is not helpful. It's just not. You only make that stuff only gets helpful once you have a certain baseline level of strength. So, for example, Malik Jefferson back in the day became a much better linebacker when he went from squatting 305 to 475. And it showed on the field. You can play through contact. That, yes. And that, you're more durable. People don't realize when you get stronger, you're actually harder to injure. You have more armor, right? And you're just you're exerting less of your maximal force on every down. And, and you know, when, you, when you're just stronger. Uh, where Becton, I think, has done a really nice job is getting guys in shape and getting buy-in. And that's like 75% of being a strength and conditioning coach. Just getting the guys to work. Because these guys are genetic freaks. <laughs> They're not you and me. And, and I know some of you guys like to work out and all that. From a genetic perspective, you're, you're not even close to a high-level college football player. And so those guys, when they get the buy-in and when they really put in the work, you can see huge growth. The other part of this, it's your mommy and daddy. It's not Tory Becton. What are your genetics? What did you come in as? You know, if you come in as a five-star and you already have a 39-inch vertical leap and you can't even squat 225 yet, you're pretty good material to work with, right? So uh, any college football strength and conditioning coach can point to these elite freaks and say, I did that, right? Uh, but the truth is, Mommy and daddy and, and DNA and mitochondria did a lot of that. The key is to get these guys to work and to buy in. Paul, I got to say this. You just reminded me of something I saw when I was, I, I guess I was probably 30 years old. You remember Champ Bailey? Of course. Played for the Broncos and Georgia and was all American. He was from a very small school in the state of Georgia. I had heard of him, but he showed up to a Nike camp prior to a senior year. And this is back before everybody started rating juniors really early. Like we do now, this is back before you had actually rated some of the players. Champ Bailey literally walks up and he is 175 dripping wet, about six foot. He looks like another guy on, I mean, just, he looks like, you know, your average high school student almost. He walks up to the jump mat and he looks around and says, what do I have to do? And if you've ever seen the, a vertical jump mat, it's literally you just explode off the mat yeah. and it calculates your explosiveness and gives you a vertical leap number. Mm -hmm. Guy didn't know what to do. One, 30 seconds later, he set the all-time record for, for <laughs> vertical leap off that jump mat. I mean, it's 41 inches, I think, at the time. A vertical leap of 41. You know? Yeah. That, I... Those guys, that's genetics, you know. And so to Paul's point, if you get those guys in the right system, though, Paul, that's the that's that's where some true greatness can come. All right, Paul, I got to do this to you, and I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But you, oh, you T-boy. We have a tradition, seriously. Share with us what Jonte means to you. Thank you. <laughs> UT boy, can you get a close up on me? Um, <laughs> Jante means everything to me. <laughs> everything. There's never been a UT player that I care more about than Jante Cook, UT boy. <laughs> so rest assured, 
that I will not allow disrespect to John Tay Cook on this live stream ever. You hear that, Blake? I hear it. I'm taking notes right. right now. All right. I hope that was satisfying for you, UT boy. Next time, do a super chat. <laughs> I love UT boy now. Don't don't be messing with my guy. Well, speaking of super chats, guys, we got to take a couple more here. Uh, Pocasino, thank you, Poke. He says the best content always. Good to see you on the live stream, Paul. Who are your two players on both sides of the ball that are your breakout players this year? Breakout players. So this is definitional a little bit, right? I mean, you could pick Byron Murphy and Alfred Collins, right? Because they they really haven't broken out in the sense that these are known college commodities that, you know, are guaranteed time proven, right? Um, You probably can't pick Jalen Ford for this, can you? Right? (laughs) Um, gosh, I think let's go Alfred Collins and Terrence Brooks. How about that? On and then defense? for defense and then offense, I mean, gosh, I mean, AD Mitchell is the easy one, right? Um, he hasn't done it yet really, but I, we think he's going to, uh, and then, I mean, Jonathan Brooks feels like cheating. I say the same thing. He's the starting running back, though. Is he a breakout guy? I guess he is because he hasn't really – he hasn't rushed for 1,000 yards. He hasn't had 12 touchdowns. He hasn't dropped 160 yards on somebody yet. What do you all think? I would go with Jonathan Brooks and maybe DJ Campbell uh, on offense. I think A.D. Mitchell is a guy that – it's interesting because he's caught a touchdown pass in all four college football playoff games, right? So what if that's not breaking out? I don't know what is. He caught the he game winner. A, he, he, caught the game, he caught the game winner twice. I mean, not in the in the uh, the uh, 2021 game. He caught the game winner. In 2022, he got the game winner against Ohio State in the semifinal. So, you know, I have a hard time with that one. On defense – you know, I, I think that's a different story. And I I, I think I would look for somebody like Terrence Brooks for sure. But beyond that, I have a hard time if it's not Anthony Hill. Oh, I was going to say, can we pick Anthony Hill? Yeah. Because I kind of already expect him. <laughs> yeah, I know, but he's a, he's a freshman. You have to – He hasn't done it. I think you have, to, you have to put him in that group because he hasn't done it in the college level. So those would probably be my two. The other one that I would say – that I keep hearing sneaky good things about is Maurice Blackwell. Hmm. Like he's a, I know he's only a, a piece of the pie for Texas, if that makes sense. Uh, he's not a regular. He's not going to beat out David Benda, I don't think, for the every down roll. But my point being that I keep hearing some some positive things, like he might be a, a splash player at, at some level for Texas. All right. This next super chat's from Texas Boy, and he says, "Can Bama stop the Campbell Murphy Baxter on the one yard line? Is there any defense that can stop that?" Yes, <laughs> there are defenses that can stop it because that's not always the most effective play. But no, I look. I think that to Byron Murphy, as you know, Paul is going to run some in the backfield this year. I think we've talked about that and be Love a lead blo- lead blocker again. Um, Baxter, he, he, I think he's going to be the short yardage back. 
But he's got to get his pads down, Bobby. Yeah, no, I know. I know. <laughs> but we'll see how he does. We'll see how he does. All right. This next super chat from Boomer Beats. Going to Vegas next week to bet on our boys against Bama again. Horns by a hundred, baby. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'll just, I'll just, <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to bet. If if that's the case, I need a I need to go separate from you. If you're you're giving a hundred, if you're laying a hundred, I'm gonna I, I need to follow you in because you may actually move the line. <laughs> and then our next super chat here from Colton. He says, "What's the recipe to eliminate stall drives, especially in the second half? Is it the overall offensive depth and experience that Texas has this year?" Paul, I've answered this a bunch. I want you to take this one because I, I think this is one that I personally have have kind of pointed to those, those stall drives, those three and outs, two or three in a row that Sark had, particularly as a uh, signal caller in 2021. But it also reared its head against TCU, Oklahoma State as well. There's a coaching piece to this, but I also think sometimes the simple answer is that another year experience at quarterback and a more experienced offensive line, right? That allows you to make more adjustments. Uh, I also don't think, look, for good reason, you don't want to give a effectively a, a true freshman starter in Quinn Ewers, right? That's what he was, realistically. You don't want to give him the latitude to be making a bunch of line calls and adjustments, and particularly when the interplay with, between that and your offensive line. So Texas was starting two true freshmen on the offensive line, they were starting a true sophomore on the offensive line, which gets forgotten. Uh, you're not going to be at optimal communication and ability to adjust with that personnel grouping. So a lot of the time you're ending up not very dexterous or agile, making the adjustment to their adjustment, right? So you, what you saw was certain teams being able to ride a little wrinkle for an extra couple of series that I don't think they'll get away with this year. We'll have to see. But just some simple ability to make some check with me calls at the line can address a lot of those overlaid, overloaded defensive stunts and things like that. Also, negative plays. I mean, truthfully, the way to have a three and out is to have second and 12, right? You know, that's you're, you're, you're headed down the road to perdition there. So I think that's part of it. And then from a coaching perspective, I think they've got to find a way to put a little more on their plate and get a little more consistency from Quinn just as a distributor, you know, getting to second and three, getting to second and four. Hi, Bobby. This question, this next question here from Michael Hinosa is a good one. He says, what does Sark mean when they say they dedicate extra time to third and fourth down in practice? Is it just more time on the short and intermediate passing game, taking select third down packages from key opponents? What exactly? Well, he's talking about actually third and fourth down for defense. Uh, that's that's one of the things that Pete Kwiatkowski said he wanted to work extra time on this year. And so it means how do you defend third and four or third and three better? Uh, they didn't necessarily have problems defending third and 10 all that much. They had problems with the third and medium and third and third at third and medium is third and three or, or third to third and five. Right. So. That's what they're talking about. On offense, I will say Paul made a really intelligent point just a minute ago, and that's that's the ability of a quarterback to change the play and feel comfortable doing it and do it right um, at the right time. Uh, that is a 
some people just have that. I will say this, like some kids, they're, they're just, they get it before they even, I, I don't know whether they're Colt McCoy or what, right, Paul, but uh, some don't and some have to learn a little bit more of on the fly. And I think uh, Quinn Ewers had to do a little bit of that last year. Hopefully he's better at that this year and that that'll help them on third down. It, it should improve Texas on third down offense for sure. All right, Bobby, before we move on, I'm going to let you tell everybody about Energy Texas one more time. Yep, last time for tonight. Uh, this is the Tuesday night live stream, and every Tuesday night is sponsored by Energy Texas. Uh, at Energy Texas, it's Texas electricity done right. Visit them at www.energytexas.com. Uh, you can use their flex plan to change your energy plan each and every month at no additional cost. That's right. If you want to change it from September to October, you can do so with the Flex Plan at no additional cost. Uh, give them a call at 855-461-1129 to get signed up today or just visit them at www.energytexas.com. Well, when Paul mentioned the word Super Chat earlier, they just started coming in by the droves. So we have a <laughs> lot of them <laughs> that we have to get to, guys, as we're winding down here. Uh, John Campbell has a Super Chat, and he says, Do y'all still believe that McDonald outgrows Star and spins down to linebacker? It's clearly no accident that Sark has repeatedly mentioned him. Future scheme possibilities look fun, fun with these young defensive backs. I agree. Um, I, I don't know that he spins down. They're going to try to keep him out there as long as they can because if he can run and turn uh, with, the, with the, the inside receivers, he is big enough and bigger than a Jade Barron to play a larger role in the pass game. Uh, think, of a, think of a Maurice Blackwell that actually can turn and run as opposed to a Maurice Blackwell that really primarily is a forward guy, go forward guy. Um, so I, I agree I told people this morning, Paul, by the way, I know you didn't get a chance to make a practice yet, but uh, you look at Derek Williams and Jelani McDonald and you like, you, you're like, these guys are just different. They're, they're cut differently. If that makes sense. Physically, the first time people see them on the field, they're going to say, how are those guys DBs? Because they're six, two, six, two and change and have arms that are just go on forever. And so I, I think y'all are going to be really, really impressed with how those two look. And you didn't get to see, you didn't get to see both of them because they weren't mid years, right? In the spring, and so it's going to be a lot of people's first look at him, look at them against Rice. Uh, Paul, this next super chat's for you from Jimmy Trevino. He says, Paul, who has the most interceptions, the most sacks, the most tackle for losses, and the most forced fumbles? Wow! Here we go. All right, let's let's get this on. The correct answer for interceptions is either Jalen Ford or Jalen Catalan. It's one of it's one of the Jalens. Jalen Catalan is a health dependent answer. Most sacks. It's going to be sacks by committee, guys. So the key indicator is not who leads Texas in sacks. It's how many guys have three or more. And and we want a half dozen guys with three or more. Um, if you're saying most sacks, it's going to be probably Sorrell or Ant Hill. Probably seven. Most TFL. You know who led us in TFL last year, Bobby? It wasn't Overshone, was it? No, sir. It's a trick. It's almost a trick question. Jade Barron? Jade Barron. Yeah, I was about to say, I thought it was a defensive back. 
Jade Barron, well, he's not going to lead us in TFL again this year, even though he's amazing against the screen game. Uh, probably going to be Ant Hill. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think wow. he's just a point and shoot blitz linebacker. Uh, he's a guy who's going to, he'll probably have like 30 tackles and 13 of them will be for a loss, right? Uh, most forced fumbles, Jalen Ford. Come on. All right, now we're going to go to the other side of the ball and ask a similar question from Jose Gamboa. Who scores our first 50-plus yard touchdown, a running back or wide receiver, and who? I know the answer, Bobby. Well, I, I have no clue. <laughs> I, I, I struggle with these because I, I just they're predictive, right? Um, and so there is no wrong answer. I, I would go, I, I would go actually probably Xavier Worthy. Uh, or A.D. Mitchell on the long TD. Uh, so it'd be a wide receiver. Uh, it could be Arch Manning on a, in a uh, scrimmage, though, <laughs> if you count that. Uh, there's always that. So it's going to be a 61-yard completion to Xavier Worthy against Rice <laughs> in the early second quarter. <laughs> that is oddly specific. It's not oddly specific. I'm obviously <laughs> professional, Blake. <laughs> all right paul well in your professional opinion elijah perez says the spread for texas at bama is plus seven at a negative 115 odds money line is plus 215 what's your confidence we can win this thing drinks on me in denver if it hits all right elijah my brother i'm so sorry you've got this seven number because it came out at eight and a half and i I took out loans and did all sorts of stuff. I was, <laughs> I was delivering, I was delivering DoorDash just to get some extra money to put on this. Uh, so actually, my recommendation to the fellow degenerate is that you should trust the money line and mix it with a, a plus seven. In other words, take half your money, put it on the money line on Texas. Take the other half and juice it up to seven and a half. Get yourself a little, get yourself a little insurance with a half a point to cover that extra the touchdown with some change that if Texas loses a close one, if the officials decide that safeties are no longer a thing still, huh. uh, they call roughing for tackling Bryce, you know, the quarterback, uh, then, you know, you'll, you're still covered. So I, I'm pretty confident that Texas is going to cover this line. As far as the actual game result, I think it's a coin flip. Sound pretty confident. I will give you that. All right, guys. This next one from T here. Uh, he says, "Love y'all stuff." Me and my brother are both inside subs. He's at basic training for the army. Thank your brother for his service. What's the best thread I can mail him for spring updates? Well, it's fall updates, probably. Um, you know, the, I thought that the uh, piece that Eric, Jerry, and Justin all worked on on Sunday was a uh, tremendous, the post-practice stuff um, because it really laid out a lot of insider news and notes from the first fall scrimmage. Right. And so it, there wasn't a lot of fluff in there. There was legitimate news and, in, and information to give you guys the, the, the bare knuckles of what's going on so that y'all can actually uh, rely on it for real news. I, I thought that was probably the best one. Yeah. Blake, I would send him my preview <laughs> but because he's in the army basic training his drill sergeants are going to be very suspicious of him for being a reader <laughs> oh wow basic training comments here from paul thank you uh, t for your brother's service by the way absolutely yes. yeah big thank you 
Yep. All right, guys, we got a lot more super chats we got to burn through. I'm telling you, the floodgates open when Paul mentioned them earlier. Uh, so this next one from Football Junkie says, "Hey, Paul, what are your thoughts on personnel at edge and weak side linebacker?" Well, I, I feel better about edge than I felt after spring, and I think that's going to continue. Uh, I think. Uh, well, I look. I, I'm feeling a little better about Burke. I think that um, Collins, the experiment, is going to be interesting. Right now, I just think that they're auditioning for a lot of different options there. And a lot of that is about finishing games. I think Texas expects to have the lead in quite a few games. And then they're going to be putting teams in predictable passing situations. So the question is, could we close out with some edge rushing? And I think they're just going to try different people out. Uh, and I think, but I think, it, I think it's Ethan Burke's job. Uh, but I don't know if that means he's 35 to 40 snaps, it's his job, or if it's 55 snaps. So we'll see. Weak side linebacker, Bobby, I'm just not hearing anything about David Venda. I think that the problem that, that uh, David Venda has is that he's not making a lot of plays in scrimmages. Um, and so the question, you've got to remember who he's replacing, and that's DeMarvian Overshone. Um, and DeMarvian was not necessarily the guy that made the every down plays as much as he made the splash plays. And so you're replacing a guy that is a high octane athlete with one that's more uh, every down type. Right, Paul? And so I'm, I'm wondering what the right mix is at linebacker uh, for Texas. Is it going to be Jalen Ford becomes the, the, the glue and, I just don't know. I think that's a great question, uh, football junkie, because it, it hits at a, a point that we've talked about in that, you know, what is the best duo, not necessarily who is the best weak side linebacker. So to Bobby's point, Jalen Ford is the son, and the other linebackers, we get to choose who's <laughs> going to rotate around him, right? Uh, so traditionally you take the Sam off, and then you have – but that's all just nomenclature, tradition, like – if Anthony Hill is the best guy to be out there flanking Ford, that's who's going to be out there. Uh, so there could be games, theoretically. Bobby, please disagree if, if you think differently. I think there's games, theoretically, where Benda might see 20 snaps. And then there's other games where he might see 50. I think it's just situations and matchups. And also his play, obviously. And how, how quickly Anthony Hill takes to the off-ball linebacker. Yes, sir. Good point. Okay, apologies in advance because I may butcher this. Uh, but Parvez, oh, if I can make it show up, Parvez Bararpur says, with the new clock rule, time of possession becomes even more crucial. I know that was a problem last year. Y'all's thoughts? Yes. I mean, best guess, best estimates are one to two possessions a game, Paul, that's going to shrink the game. And we're talking about the new clock rule where after a first down, the clock does not stop. It keeps running even if the ball is not set for play. Now, if they yeah. go out of bounds, it does stop and then restart. From but my backyard, I can see the stadium of the Air Force Academy. And they've been playing that football for a while. So one of the things you notice about Air Force is those games aren't just low scoring because they run the ball. They're low scoring because their defense has games where they might defend seven or eight possessions in an entire game. Texas had games where they defended seven or eight possessions in one half. So it's not going to be that dramatic of an effect. We're not putting in the spread option, but 
I think it will have an impact. One thing I will say about TOP, and this is something I'll challenge in the conventional wisdom that you'll hear from announcers and national writers. If you're not happy with time of possession, have your defense stop someone. That's one way to address that. So if you're allowing seven-minute drives when you're down a score or two scores in the Alamo Bowl, whose fault is that? Don't blame the offense. And by the way, are we cool with Xavier Worthy catching a 61-yard touchdown if it's a one-play possession and it lasts 11 seconds? Yes. Or, or should we have milked the clock? So let's not get too caught up in time of possession in and of itself. It's a metric, but you have to understand the context of it. Well, Paul, put your promotion hat on. Because Kyle Witherspoon says two quick questions for you. Do we have any specific mismatches against Bama we will attempt to exploit? And number two, what's the name again of your annual review and where can I buy it? Kyle Witherspoon, not only are you uh, a man of good taste, but you ask amazing <laughs> questions. Uh, the first one is, yes, we have specific mismatches against Bama. It is in the passing game. It's over the top. It's our receivers against their defensive backs, particularly our schemes against their defensive backs. Why? Bama's got a really good player at corner named Kool-Aid McKinstry that everybody is familiar with. Uh, we, one thing that you notice about the ingredients of that Kool-Aid is that there's heavy helpings of sugar and pass interference. So if Kool-Aid can't handle a receiver, he just commits pass interference. He's not going to get burned, Right. And in college, that's the correct thing to do. Uh, I think he's going to have some problems with, with our guys. Uh, the other cornerback on the other side is kind of a jag. For Bama, he's kind of a jag. And they're hoping to replace him with someone younger and more talented. That's going to take time. They also are going to start a true freshman safety. This true freshman safety, Downs, is an absolute freak. But he is a true freshman safety. And, and Steve Sarkeesian is well aware of the kinds of schemes that Nick Saban likes, that Kevin Steele likes, and he's going to have something for them. So the mismatch is going to be the Texas passing game against the Alabama defensive backs. The Alabama pass rush is going to have something to say about that, right? So that's the big tension that's going to happen in this game. I don't expect Texas to come in there and rush for 200 yards. So I think – we want to be effective rushing the ball, but we're going to score our points throwing the ball. Second question is, the name of the preview is the 2023 Longhorn Football Prospectus Thinking Texas Football, 11th Annual Edition. You can buy it at Smashwords. That's an independent publisher that you can read it on your Kindle, on your iPad, whatever device you want to read it, including your laptop. You can also buy it at Apple if you want to uh, go do the easy thing. And then finally, Amazon, the 800-pound gorilla. Uh, I think we all agree that Bezos doesn't have enough money. So you guys need to go buy it at Amazon. That's where you buy the print copy. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, it'll be in your hands in 48 hours. Thanks for asking. That's, that's, I really appreciate it, Kyle. Yeah, thank you, you, Kyle. There you go. All right, Paul, leave that promotion hat on. Because this next question from Mick oh, Boogerballs, 512, says, Keep up the good work, Paul. Love the sense of humor as always. What's your podcast name? It is not the, the McBooger hour or the McBooger <laughs> Balls hour. But I like the 512 shout out. I, I have not lived in Austin in 18 years, Bobby, and I still have a 512 area code. So yeah, I got you. <laughs> got to represent the 512. Uh, the podcast is Everyone Gets a Trophy. 
Everyone gets a trophy. EGAT, E-G-A-T. Everyone gets a trophy. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, all that. Uh, I always have something up every week, sometimes two in a week. I've even got a podcast with the Bob Father, a two-part <laughs> series of Bobby last year. That you guys should go check out. If you want to find out how a hungry young kid built uh, a couple of different empires, go listen to it. It's actually very interesting, particularly if you're an entrepreneur. Okay, we're getting down to the end of these Super Chats, finally. Hornsfan224 says, Why do casuals keep asking if we're ready for the SEC? Is they and him ready? Florida, Auburn. I think it's because there, there's a bit of trepidation when you launch into something new, right? I mean, the Paul just called Amazon the 800-pound gorilla. Well, the SEC is the 800-pound gorilla of college football. And so I, I think that's where the, the trepidation comes from. Uh, at the same time, you're right. Florida hasn't been good. Auburn hasn't been good. A&M hasn't been good. You know, so, you know, what's, what's the deal? I, I just think that Texas hasn't, has been down in the Big 12, which is an inferior conference. Therefore, that's the concern of most Texas fans. It, you know, it, it's, it's one of those where you got to make sure you're in the right space, right frame of mind going into something and knowing that, hey, we got to be extra ready for this. I just my two cents. I think Texas is default lazy and complacent. And we should join the SEC because it's going to challenge us. And when you challenge Texas, Texas performs and meets the challenge and pride gets involved. And you don't have this bureaucratic lethargy that seems to plague the program. I think the SEC is someone walking up to you in the street and slapping you across the face and saying, what are you going to do about it? And Texas needs that. All right, guys. Last super chat. Boomer Beat says, does Texas have the secondary talent to loaf the box and sell out against the run against Bama if it comes to that? Yes. I think, I think that Bama's weakness on offense is not going to be its run game. It's going to be its pass game. Um, they have some guys at receiver that are extremely talented, but it's not as good as their running back in their running game with their offensive line. Um, and it's not as proven. But they have some guys that have made big catches on that. Ja'Cory Brooks is, an, is one that I keep going back to that he has a little bit of that Xavier Worthy to him, Paul, that he can get open against just about anybody. He did not have, he's had an up and down career somewhat though, but he has that type of athleticism. Uh, and so I think, I think we're going to see Texas try to do that a little bit early against Bama and see what happens. I love our corners against Bama. The key is don't bust. Just don't bust cover tackle. We're going to be just fine. And I think, uh, I think we might have something for him. All right, guys, let's go two or three more questions before we wrap it up. This first one from Daniel Kinneman. He says, long-term, who will be the toughest regional rival on the field? Arkansas, LSU, OU, or Texas A&M? Is the answer different for recruiting? And how do you rank it? Well, I think LSU, OU, and A&M are a different category than, than Arkansas based on the Arkansas population issue. I mean, essentially, they, they have to recruit primarily out-of-state, period. Whereas LSU, OU, and AM, OU at least is closer to Dallas. Uh, so they have a true population base there. Um, 
I, you know, I think it's A&M in recruiting. I can't tell you who it's going to be on the field. I think it's A&M in recruiting based on the fact that you're talking about Texas is the flagship flagship institution of the state. A&M tries to act like it wants to be equal. And so they're just going to fight, fight those battles on the field. I just have a hard time knowing what I know about the rivalry saying that, OU won't be it. But I mean, look, LSU is going to be a great, they're, they're going to have players. So I, that, that's a, that's a good question. I just don't know the answer to it. Paul. I just, Arkansas is a different category. I, I know we have recent history with them and they blew us out. Hey, hat tip to them. I don't think that's going to repeat much in the SEC. Uh, it's just a different category. And, and, and Bobby brought up the point about population, uh, who they're surrounded by and who they're able to recruit. Arkansas shares some similarities with Bobby's home, current home state of Tennessee and that the University of Tennessee has to get all of its talent from surrounding areas. The difference is that Tennessee football is just a different cell at a different level than Arkansas. And so Arkansas is always going to have to rely on scrapping together good teams when they're good. And they have a, they have a floor where they could legitimately go three and nine or four and eight. That's their floor. Uh, LSU, it's LSU, man. And they've got a real football coach. Brian, whatever you think of Brian Kelly, he's a good football coach. Uh, OU, football is very important to OU. It, it's important to them in ways that I don't think even Texas fans fully appreciate. And so I think OU is going to take potentially a little step back, but look at what they're doing on the recruiting trail. They're, they're putting out the resources. They're putting out the energy and the effort to get some, some stuff, some players for Brent Venables to see if he's the right hire. A&M, they're just – Jimbo is like determined to shoot himself in the foot. And that guy's got – you know, an AK 47 of talent, but he keeps shooting it, the clip into his, the magazine into his foot. So I just think A&M is the sleeping giant. And they always, they always seem like they will be, but if they ever wake up, I mean, that's, they're potentially a monster. Okay. We got one more and it's a super chat that just rolled in. Uh, Michael Williams says, if you had all the power, what would you do to change the recruiting signing days and transfer portal days slash windows? Reduce the number of days. It seems like coaches are dealing with this year-round. What are y'all thoughts? I wouldn't do anything with recruiting. Signing day. I, I think the two the two windows are perfect. They're fine and they're working. Um, by having it done in February, you don't get this drag out into spring ball. Um, by having it in December, it reduces uh, – some of the, the strength, uh, strain on people over the Christmas holidays. Coaches are actually getting a Christmas holiday for the first time in like forever, if that makes sense. College coaches didn't really get one before. And sometimes they still don't if they have that. They, they're playing in bowl games that are right over that, that period. Uh, the transfer portal is a different category for me altogether. Uh, what I would do there is have a one-time-a-year uh, deal, and I would make it before spring practice. Um, I would make it, you know, from December 15 to January 15. Y'all figure it out or December, maybe December, uh, January 1st to January 15th and make it that way. I, I think if anything, that's the problem there. Uh, but I, I don't have a problem with the transfer portal because ultimately 
You know, these guys are going to go where they want to go. Making it, making it multiple times, though, Blake, the problem I have there is making it multiple times is you're, you actually are managing your team for multiple times during the year when you can't react to it. So you can get a guy in, in January and think you've got it figured out, and then you lose a guy in May and you haven't figured it out. I, I, I want one time for a transfer portal, but you know, I, I'm not, I'm not crying about it because it's been an, it, the rules as are, or as, as they are, have been a benefit to Texas. And so it, it's one of those things where, you know, I think they should change, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to get upset about it. Yeah. The, the college football has more labor mobility than the NFL. Uh, the portal is much more open than free agency. The free agency is defined. It's limited. And once you sign a contract, you're contracted to that team. Not only are you compelled to play for them, they can find you. They can take money out of your pocket if you say, I want to sit out camp or whatever else, right? There's no equivalent mechanism in college football. So I think you're running into some tension between people saying, hey, let's just get rid of the hypocrisy and treat these guys like amateur, you know, like pros, like minor leaguers as they are. But by the same virtue, you can't have just absolute pure free agency where someone offers you a Corvette and a hundred grand and you're out the, out the door uh, almost at any time. Um, you, you can, can't you portal like right now? Uh, only as a grad transfer. Okay. As a grad transfer. So theoretically, you could enter your name, right? You could enter your name right now. You just couldn't move right now. Okay. Got it. So I, if you have this open portal, I, I agree with Bobby. I'd probably limit the transfer windows. Uh, I might, enforce a two-year minimum commitment unless the head coach leaves that might be the out but you know we can't have this inequity in the labor market and the so-called management we've almost swung the pendulum where players were sort of being taken advantage of a little bit frankly and now we've swung the pendulum all the other way and the players have you know all the benefits and no responsibilities i think the responsibilities have to be mutual all right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the On Texas Football Tuesday Night live stream. By the way, Boomer Beats want to thank you uh, for tuning in and everybody else out there. Of course, thank everybody for all of our super chats. And uh, don't forget, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., Bobby, myself, and Jerry will be back for Coffee and Football or On Texas Football today. Uh, so be sure to uh, tune in for that. Also, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. Paul, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We definitely appreciate it. Hope you had a good time on the on your first live stream. I did. You guys were gentle. I really appreciate it. Y'all were gracious. Blake, thank you for, for nurturing me through it. And uh, Bobby, appreciate you having me on with the cool kids. Hey, Paul, we appreciate you. Make sure you guys check out Thinking Texas Football uh, for sale on Amazon, uh, by, by the way, as well. So shout out to Matt for the graphics. Holy cow. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah. They, and thank you to Matt as always. And uh, like I said, don't forget, hit that like and subscribe button. Head on over to InsideTexas.com for the latest and greatest on all things Texas Longhorns. And uh, yeah, Bobby and I'll be back tomorrow with Jerry at 8 a.m. So for, for Bobby and for Paul, I'm Blake, and we'll see you next time.